Welcome to Mind Training and Homotherapy, a podcast that explores ideas to help you live a life that is more purposeful, intentional, and fulfilled. I am your host, Dr. Henry Gregory, and I thank you for tuning in. Hello, folks. Hope everyone is well out there today. Today, I'd like to talk about Ahimsa. Ahimsa. A-H-I-M-S-A. It's a Sanskrit word for nonviolence. Nonviolence. Ahimsa says... Violence to the innocent is a terrible sin. And then when we talk about violence, we're not just talking about physical behavior. We're talking about thoughts and words also. Because when you are very critical, when you are negative in your thoughts, you're being violent. I mean, how many times have we heard uh, someone or even ourselves speak of something in a way that tears it down, in a way that degrades it or minimizes it? That's violence. Words have power. Remember, words, like everything else, are just energy. So when we're talking about nonviolence, we're talking about our thoughts. We're talking about our words. We're talking about our deeds. We're talking about developing a mindset that is full of love. A mindset that is not full of hatred, not full of anger, not full of distortions, but a mindset that is accepting, appreciative, and promoting of life. When we say nonviolence, we're talking about a mindset that acknowledges and supports the unity of life, the oneness or the interconnectedness of all life. There are many people who, in today's world, who practice nonviolence in a lot of different ways. Some eat plant-based diets or even are vegan as a way to express their nonviolence. Thinking about um, my wife, <laughs> she's a, a gardener, a master gardener, could grow anything. And so myself, while I'm still working on my ahimsa skills um, and having come up in the inner city, um, bugs and rodents and stuff are not my thing too much. And we live right on the edge of the woods. So every once a year, they start to come 
get in the house, whether it's stink bugs or ants or whatever. Well, my wife would always have these elaborate ways that she would, and, and she would encourage her husband to get rid of them, whether that was catching the mice alive and then taking them to the woods and release them, whether that was putting uh, organic substances around the perimeter of the house so that the ants would not come in, but ways other than killing. Matter of fact, still remains in my house at each door, there's a, what's called a bugzooka, where you can catch um, stink bugs, suck them into this little, ga- little gadget, and then theoretically release them. I say theoretically because my wife used to have to remind me to release them. Uh, but, I, but I'm better at that now. So what I'm saying is people practice nonviolence a lot, a lot of ways. It's a way of honoring life and accepting that all life has value. Not just my life or people who look like me or who think like me, but all life has value. Whether it's human life, animal life, plant life, all life is valued. It takes us to a deeper understanding of the adage that um, to, to love thy neighbor as thyself. For many of us, we can appreciate, honor, take care of ourselves. But when it comes to other folks, especially when we have differences, it becomes more challenging. Ahimsa, nonviolence, say all people are worthy of care, respect, of honor. As a matter of fact, Ahimsa says that neglecting to help anyone when they need help is violence. It's promoting injury. Because at some level, each one of us has a responsibility to help where we can, when we can, how we can. And that's really consistent with our purpose in being. When we look at it deeply enough, we see that our sense of purpose always involves some level of service, some level of understanding and actualizing how we can help other life forms on this planet. Human, plant, animal, or in between. But how we can help. And when we honor that, um, that interconnectedness, when we honor that oneness of life, it raises our consciousness and clears our intellect. Because the truth of the matter is, when we get caught up in sense gratification, when we get caught up in our desires, remember we talked about desires, uh, anger, lust, greed, pride, envy, and attachment. 
whenever we get caught up in any of those, they distort our minds, our ability to think clearly, our um, ability to be effective in the way that we perceive, conceptualize what's going on and how we can better ourselves. So when we're caught up, you know, in how much money and how much power and how much pleasure I'm going to have, that distorts the mind. And, um, you know, as we said before, the mind can rationalize, justify, defend anything. So then the mind begins to work to how to satisfy these desires as opposed to how can I serve, how can I assist um, life on this planet as we know it. So, so yes, yes, Ahimsa says thou shall not kill, but it says a whole lot more than that too. It's about regard for all life because all life contributes in a cycle. That's one of the things that we're struggling with on this planet right now realizing that um, we have to do more to sustain that which sustains us on the planet. We become so mechanized, so detached, so alienated from our environments that much of our, li- of our life is unsustainable. Just like, you know, on the in the South and the, and the East Coast, we've recently um, had a scare with uh, gas not being available because of some devious behavior, whatever. The, the bottom line is life as we know it is not really sustainable with this focus on materialism, this focus on power, this focus on control, it's, it's really not sustainable. Because things are breaking down. We've kind of hit some walls and things are breaking down. You know, there's also expected that we're going to have more and more brownouts and blackouts, just like we had one down in Texas, you know, a couple months ago that we are very susceptible to that all over the place. It's like we had the, the water issues, have the water issues in Michigan. The current mindsets are not supportive of sustainable life at this point. So when we talk about Nonviolence. We're we're not talking about what we're just what we're not doing, but we're talking about what we are doing. Just think of it. As much as we use violence to uh, promote, get to obtain peace, it it never really works. Probably used to work a little bit more, but now we've got a, 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 to a place in the history where violence does not 
work doesn't solve anything. Everybody has so many weapons of uh, mass destruction that there's no way to really win a fight. And I really think even without the larger weapons of mass destruction, that's always been an issue. Nobody really wins a war because what you don't win when you conquer a people is you don't win their hearts. You don't win their minds. So the conflict continues. It just go becomes more subtle until it can express itself more overtly. So violent methods toward, toward peace, they don't work. They don't work. Ahimsa is about purifying the intellect. Ahimsa is about dynamic love. It's about recognizing the sacredness of all life and respecting the adage, do no harm. If you can't help, do no harm. And as such, when we are living our nonviolence, it, it frees us from karmic bondages. We talked about karma last time, and everything having a cause and effect. When we get past the sense gratification, going after the desire, using violence mentally, uh, verbally, physically, when we get past that, we, get, we, we become free. We become free from the bondages of karma, reincarnation, um, from attachments. One of, my, one of the people who really studied and manifested this issue of nonviolence was a couple of them. It was Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, and Martin Luther King. And King, in his book, Stride Toward Freedom, talked about six principles of nonviolence. He says, one, nonviolence is, the, is a way of life for courageous people. <laughs> for courageous people. Um, you, you have to have a lot of heart, be inspired by something deeper and larger than yourself, and be willing, be willing to put it on the line to really go with nonviolence. I mean, we saw some of that dramatically played out in, in um, demonstrations with King and others during the, the 60s and people going to lunch counters and getting spit on and, and hit and such. And, and, we, and we still see it today. It's like a commitment, where one says, this is, 
so important that I, my allegiance is to handling things this way, no matter what others are doing. And actually, I've heard it said, once you really incorporate, really incorporate an attitude of ahimsa, of nonviolence into your being, you attract violence a lot less, if at all. Because remember, what we, what we put out is what we get back. So if I'm angry, I'm going to attract more anger. If I'm hating, I'm going to get more hate. You know, if, if I'm being critical, I'm going to get more, more criticism. And if I'm acting violently, thinking violently, I'm going to attract more of that also. Then there was principle two. Nonviolence seeks to win friendship and understanding. What I'm hearing in that is nonviolence or ahimsa is a way of facilitating connections between human beings, between life forms. Again, we're all related. We're all from the same source, returning to the same source. And as such, when we can connect, we move better together, we work better together, we actualize our higher potential rather than allowing our fear to guide us and separate us and isolate us from other folks. So nonviolence is about winning friendship, understanding, connecting to other beings, and appreciating them for who and what they are. Principle three is um, nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice, not people. So King was, was clear that in order to be effective, Many times we have to separate the person from the behavior. And when we are going after injustice, we're going after a behavior no matter where it appears. And we're not necessarily going after the person who may be manifesting that because in actuality, the person who is doing the injustice is caught up in it. The person who is perpetrating the injustice is actually confined by the limits that that injustice imposes. Again, what you put out is what you get back. Principle four, nonviolence holds that suffering can educate and transform. So the things that we go through, the trauma, the hurt, the disappointment, the injustice, the suffering, it all has a lesson to it that helps us, when we are open to it, to grow and to transform to higher versions of ourselves, to get past our mental and emotional limitations 
and see ourselves in a larger light. What, what I mean is get past the three-dimensional uh, definitions of who we are. Another hero, <laughs> um, Nelson Mandela, when he was in prison, he was tortured. And one day when he got out of prison, he was in a restaurant, and the man sitting uh, Taylor Crofts and him got real nervous, real nervous. What had happened was that person was one of the people who tortured him in jail. Instead of responding uh, with attitude or with vengeance or with hate, Mandela invited him over and spoke to him compassionately and um, and touched him in a way that the man did not expect. That, that was transformative. Because when, where Mandela was, was not in the confines of time, space, and matter, but really beyond that, in a, in a dimension that sees us all as connected as all as valuable, whereas some behaviors are not acceptable. All people are. And when he started treating that man like that, that man was amazed. Mm -hmm. But that was the, the foundation of the movement to uh, unify South Africa by accepting all people who were present, black, white, indigenous, colonizers accepting everybody. Number five, nonviolence chooses love instead of hate. Chooses love instead of hate. Chooses faith instead of fear. It's about building rather than tearing down. It's about seeing potential rather than being inhibited. It's about moving forward rather than trying to maintain. Mm -hmm. And the last one, nonviolence believes that the universe is on the side of justice. <laughs> so, you know, we may have temporary layovers. What's this? What's the, the saying I've heard that you may see dictators who will rule for a, a while in different countries and different civilizations and different time periods, but it's always temporary. It always comes to an end. It is not sustainable because the universe is just. It is balanced. So it may not happen in, you know, the time... Uh, the time slots that we would prefer, but it's always moving toward order, toward harmony, toward care and nurturance of all life forms. And we are more connected to it when we're doing the same thing. We connect to a larger reality. It enlarges our perspective. It amplifies our power 
and our ability to manifest healthy, growth-promoting destinies. Martin said, hate multiplies hate, violence multiplies violence, and toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. Again, what you put out is what you get back. When we have a reverence for life, when we have a commitment to nonviolence, and appreciate that everything has a place, everything is of value, and move with life, then we enhance our perception, our ability to manifest. We create joy and connection. Ahimsa, nonviolence. What do you think, Daryl? Wow. I think that you uh, you hit on a few things there. And one of the, the main things that just continue to stay in my head is that, and not that you said this, but we often need a face, require a face for our issues. So to a point that you made um, just a moment ago, you know, it's about defeating injustice and not people. Mm -hmm. However, we have a habit of making people the face of the injustice. So I know, I know, I know that you don't get too political on these episodes. So I don't, I won't get super specific. But we just experienced a you know political leader who, for a lot of people, became the face of racism, became the face of injustice. So what happens when that person is not in that seat anymore? Does the issue go away? No, mm -hmm. of course not. Mm -hmm. The issue is still there. Mm -hmm. And the only reason that person that is in that position is because he's tapping into something that is in many of us. Right. So he, he is more of a symptom than a cause. Right. Right. And we often find ourselves focusing on the symptoms and not the underlying root cause. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's cheaper, it's less expensive energy-wise <laughs> to find somebody to point to, right. you know, say they are the problem, you know, um, to identify, you know, to stigmatize some group, yeah. you know, or, or put people in boxes yeah. rather than see the light in the person, no matter how many challenges they may have behaviorally, yeah. thought-wise, to... to to see the light in that person and appreciate that. Right, right. And and on some level, that so-called moral superiority mm. feeds our ego. Yes, yes. And our ego is there to take care of our fears. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oftentimes we find ourselves as human beings looking to to be the righteous one and that that serves our ego but it doesn't do anything to resolve or defeat the issue the underlying issue that we're actually facing 
we we put a face on to the issue and try to defeat the person yes. and that makes us feel you know as if we're on a, a high we have a higher moral ground so to the example that you gave uh, with uh nelson mandela he could have easily wagged his finger at the person that contributed to his suffering mm -hmm. and he wouldn't have been wrong so to speak to have a certain attitude towards that person but he was able to separate the person from the behavior and see that person as a human being that was misled that was misguided that was in the wrong place whatever however the time that he had to himself i would like to think allowed him to have a different perspective on what he was experiencing or what he had experienced and that's what allowed him to give that grace to that person to see that person as a person outside of or separated from from that behavior even that the behavior that was directly harmful to him yeah it, he spent a lot of time looking inside right being self-reflective asking himself those difficult questions and finding the essence of who he was mm -hmm. and connecting with the larger universe. Right. right. So he didn't really have time or energy to, to point fingers and to tear other folks down. Again, he was looking for the light. Yeah. What worked in people, what was sustaining. Yeah. Yeah. And and so what it what it brought to mind for me or what is bringing to mind now is I have people that I know that it would always be confusing to me whereby those um, people would constantly have a need for an enemy, a need ah. for a fight. Mm. Somebody mm. has to be the focus of their animosity. And I never understood, like, why does there always have to be someone that is the face of whatever you're facing? Mm -hmm. You know, but what what I've learned is that that or those people that had that struggle, they just needed somehow to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And so the people that became the target of their animosity were just tools for them to express themselves and what was going on inside of them. Mm -hmm. So it had very little to do with what that particular individual may have been doing at the time. Yeah. It was more so about what the person was carrying inside and they needed and they needed an outlet to to, you know, direct that energy to. And so that's that's what happens oftentimes when people are violent in some way. Yes. They they need a face, they need a figure to be the representation of what they're feeling or what they're fighting against. I'm disturbed inside. I have turmoil inside. Right. And rather than have the courage to go in there and try to weed that out, I find some external person group to point at and to focus on and say they are the cause of yeah. my suffering. Yeah. Well, the cause of the suffering is being on this planet. Right. <laughs> in, in third density. Some of that comes with, with, with the process. Right. Right. But yes, we, we, we scapegoat each other all the time say where we where do we start at it takes courage to look inside to own your stuff it takes courage to be nonviolent it takes courage to be appreciative and look for the light 
in whomever you experience. Right. So there's there's an entire history, you know, in this country. There's an entire history in this world mm-hmm. of men, in particular, having the need to dominate another in order to hold a certain position, in order to rise to a certain status. I have to have someone under me. You know. Yes, to va- to validate um, my importance. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but the the the, 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 the paradoxical thing is the more that I do the more insecure I feel right I, I don't I can't get enough money I can't get enough power you know I can't get enough, enough influence you right. know because those things will not uh, are not nutritious right they won't, they won't feed me yeah mm-hmm. yeah so so that's that's what it what it brought to mind for me and definitely um, was a reminder of as you mentioned the need to separate people from their behavior and focusing on the issue and not particularly the person that's representing the issue in that moment. Yeah, you can have compassion for a person. You can set boundaries. It doesn't mean you accept the behavior, right. you know, participate in it or allow it, you know, to uh, affect you. But understand that that person is trapped in there too, even though they may be perpetuating that behavior. So I guess we're talking about, at some level, empathy and compassion are prerequisites for nonviolence, are prerequisites for ahimsa, looking for the highest manifestation in each one of us, appreciating it, connecting with it. And when we do it in other folks, it makes it easier to do it with ourselves. Blessings to you all. Have a great day. Take care of yourselves.